Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Work Podcast. And today we've got an incredibly amazing treat because we have with us author Heidi McCann. And okay, you're going to hear all about her. Heidi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Esther. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you. Heidi writes many books. One of the main things that she's writing, a lot of love-inspired, well, we don't specifically call it Christian romance. It's just kind of like love-inspired romance or how do we phrase that? We like to use the word inspirational because the uh, aspects where we sort of rely on Christianity as part of the plot are quite subtle, at least in my opinion. We often have on a lot of young adult authors or authors of mystery writing. We've had all different kinds of writers and we have not had many writers from your genre on yet. And this is part of my new read outside of my genre campaign. So it's really exciting to be speaking with you. Before we get get into all your books, you have an upcoming book, which is also very exciting. So before we get into all that, what is your origin story? How do you get into writing and how do we get to this point? Basically, I grew up in Alaska. My parents owned a restaurant. And so to keep me away from being at my mom's feet when she was serving food, my grandmother babysat me and she read to me a lot. And I have loved books for as long as I knew that books existed. And my sister made one at school, construction paper type, hand drawn, and she brought it home. And I said, what is that? I need that. I want to have that. And being an older sister, you know, she was like, you can't even write. But I must have been old enough that I can have this memory. So maybe just ready to go to kindergarten. And so I loved reading all throughout my childhood. And my friend had a bookstore in her garage. Her her mother did. I came across a book called Love Comes Softly. It's by Jeanette Oak. She's one of the pioneers of the genre Christian romance. And it's what the show, uh, When Calls the Heart, it's a TV show. That was how I first read Christian fiction. And then I kind of went back to more of the modern mainstream books that everyone else was reading then like Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High. And I think I was in college when I discovered Debbie Maycomer. Her son was a classmate of mine in college. And so she's kind of one of the pioneers of our genre as well. And so that's when I figured out that, oh, there are people who really are authors, but I didn't think I could make a living as an English major. And so I majored in sports medicine and I got a master's degree and I was an athletic trainer for a big university here in North Carolina. And then I met my husband and we got married and I was like, Hey, I want to be a stay at home mom. And also I have an idea for a book. So fast forward to like 2012, I had a book I was trying to write and I ended up signing with a small press and they did not stay in business very long. They published my book. It's called Unraveled. And then I got the rights back and I republished it with a new cover. And throughout 2012, 2015, I kept trying to get my foot in the door with uh, Love Inspired. And I don't know what year it was, maybe 2016, I entered a contest and I did not win, but the editor said, hey, I'll work with you until we get this to a point where we could publish it. So that was the Firefighters Twins. That was my first book with Love Inspired and we've been rolling ever since, I guess you'd say. Okay, wow. (laughs) Follow-up questions. The book that you read that they based the TV show when calls the heart on that book? She had a whole series, but to me, the very first book is Love Comes Softly. She's a Canadian author. It probably came out in like 80, 81, a long time ago. You read that when you were... Let's like say in... I was 10, roughly. Oh. I remember I had to ask my mom for permission. She had to buy the book for me. <laughs> when you were 10, you just, you saw this, it was kind of like, an, I guess you could say like a clean adult romance kind of book? Or It was. The idea, I think, is she's on the... Canadian Prairie in Alberta, Canada, and there's a man who's a Mountie, and I think he's a single dad, a widower, and so I think that's kind of the structure of the novel. But in those days, that series, it would take like five books for them to kiss. Okay. Yeah. So by the time you were 17, you were old enough that's to right. read. So once you read that, that kind of... Oh, but then you said you went back to the Babysitter's Club. I 
was just saying I didn't want to be like, oh, and I only read Christian fiction because that's not true. My friend's mom ran the bookmobile, basically a van that's full of books. And she would come out to the house to our business in the summer and I would get books. And that's when I discovered paranormal romance and books with intimacy on the page. Like nobody screened what I got out of the bookmobile. (laughs) So I for sure was exposed to a wide variety of things. But Jeanette Oak is the first time I ever remember reading Christian fiction and going, oh, what is that? Question is kind of what stayed with you or was it something about your own self that you were like, if I'm going to be writing books, I got to make sure I'm writing the clean romance versus any other genre versus not specifically really clean romance or was it an inspiration thing or just like from your own self? You're like, this is what I'm going to do. I remember... Just really loving those books. I am a Christian. I grew up in a home where our faith is very important to us. So to me, I didn't think I could write anything. I was very close to my grandmothers and who are very conservative and they're deceased now. But I remember thinking, I've got to write something that my grandmother could read and would not be unhappy with me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) We Christians, we have a lot of issues with judgment. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing. Yeah, it's kind of a thing. I remember distinctly thinking, whatever I write, I want my grandmother, and of course my parents as well, but I want to be able to look my grandmothers in the eye and not feel ashamed because you just didn't talk about intimacy and you surely didn't write about it or read about it. That was the culture of my upbringing. Right. Maybe we should actually outline, when we talk about clean romance or inspirational romance, what is the parameter of that. You're allowed to show X, but not X. You could go up to, what that does is, that look like? That is a very delicate question. So love inspired, we sort of teasingly say to one another, keep the hands above the shoulders. So there's not a lot of emphasis on maybe like a lady's legs looking shapely. Like we don't talk about that. Like you have to be careful if you mention that she has curves, even though every human has a curve yeah. on the body. So love inspired, it's a 25 year old line, originally very conservative audience. I, mean, I don't have any data to back this up, but I feel like it's becoming a little bit less conservative but we still stick to some parameters there's usually just a kiss at the midpoint of the novel and you can push the boundary on the kiss a little bit but there's for sure a line where the editor will say this is a little bit too sensual for our readers and you have to dial back the description a little bit but then also you have to make it plausible right like how could they have fallen in love that fast (laughs) so that's a good question actually yes how could they so now that we kind of have that like what that parameter is you are specifically setting out to write a love story that's why it's inspirational romance there's not a secret about what the story is going to be it's going to be a happily ever after versus some people like to argue what does nicholas sparks write well does he write love stories because there tends to be some sort of significant loss in his books right whereas in love inspired the hero and heroine are going to live and flourish and be together by the end of the book that's not even a question right it's almost like the inspirational thing has like the multi meaning to it like one in the happy ending and like oh there's a lot of hope and right. also you have a little yes. bit of a religious aspect to it okay so this might just be you personally and someone else of course might have a different answer that there are certain parameters of well it makes it more challenging less challenging or it's just writing a romance does it affect being able to write the romance in a certain way because you can't do a lot of touching so you got to make sure that other stuff is going on on the page yes my editor had to teach me how to structure it so that it's interesting to read so you have to have an internal issue going on within the character like i had to understand what internal conflict was versus an external conflict like she has to be thinking well i can't fall in love with him because the last time i dated a guy who wasn't from this island he left and broke my heart so therefore i cannot date anybody who doesn't live here now that's ridiculous but that's the lie she believes at the beginning of the novel because she's protecting her heart and then throughout the novel slowly the hero will help her change her mind and you have to have a conflict 
for the hero as well that's not just needs a job or whatever. So does that make sense? So you yeah. really have to rely on emotions. Kind of like you have to make it a stronger character-driven sort of thing. Right. Okay. Yes. This might just be random, but I was kind of looking through different books. Just like, oh, what's this one about? What's this one about? And it seems like there's a very common theme in this line and in kind of like the companion lines of, of mm-hmm. these books that there's often a single parent. Yes. A lot of single dads. Okay, we're not talking about 18-year-olds, which that kind of makes sense because I'm assuming the audience is not 18-year-olds. I'm like happy to have 18-year-olds, no. but that's not the specific target. And it's also second chance love seems to also be a big thing. Yes. So is that just because these characters are older or is that kind of... I don't know, what uh, to, be, have, yeah. to be perfectly honest, I write about single dads and twins and small towns and second chance romance because the books sell. <laughs> okay, no, yeah. To, to be perfectly honest, I'm trying to make a living. They usually tell us, and by they I mean the editorial team will say, just once or twice a year, hey, here's what has sold well for us. Like Amish. Amish just year after year yes. after year. Amish books sell really well. I don't want to write those. Like I come from a Mennonite background. My mother's side of the family is Mennonite from Pennsylvania, which is not not the same as Amish, but right. there's some overlap in the customs, and that does not interest me, so I'll find something else to write about. But yes, yeah, single dads sell. There's nothing wrong with a book about a single mom, but there's something about the single dad with the child or the children that is appealing to readers. I wish I could tell you why exactly, but I, I don't know. The Amish romance is the other genre, like that's what I'm saying, the companion genres that I've discovered. It's like thrilling and curious at the same time these genres that yes. I didn't know about that sell so well. Glad you found your audience. This is exciting. Right. I guess there's there's just something about it also, but I wonder if it's because the audience that you're writing for, it's a little bit of an older audience. So either it's something yes. that people feel like they need to refresh or they want to know that not all guys are deadbeats. Kind of feeling that when you have a guy who's a single dad and he's stepping up to being a single dad, that it's like, oh, look, this is a guy who's like owned up. You should do a poll among readers yeah. and find out. Yes. I mean, I enjoy writing it and what you said resonates for me, but I've never actually polled my readers. But it sells. And books with twins. Why? Why are twins such a phenomenon? But my books that feature twins have sold better than my books that feature a single child. That is so interesting. I agree. Someone tell me why, but I'll just keep writing them. Yes, people, we need feedback. That's so curious. So the one book of yours that I saw is the one that's coming out soon, which is Alaska Redemption. So it takes place in Alaska. It's its own book, but it's sort of also part of a series, like a companion series, I guess we could say. Yes, they call it a mini-series because you can buy the book and it stands alone. Incidentally, it's out today. Today is its birthday. And I got to meet with some local readers, people that I know, and they had questions that I was like, oh, I wish you had read the second book. So they are standalones from a marketing perspective, but I think it might be fun for people if they start at the beginning of the series. Okay, wait a second. We're recording this on February 21st, and I'm just saying this for the listeners, this might not come out for but it's your book's birthday and i've got a book with a birthday today also so this podcast just became a birthday podcast what a great day yeah hey we're birthday buddies that is awesome what is your book called shadow and crown it's the young adult fantasy the first of a new series roughly based on the pied piper kind of a retelling reimagining oh wow yeah, it's, awesome. it's a little bit darker than his Alaskan Redemption. Maybe slightly. Tiny, different, little bit. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, part of speaking with you in particular, this book doesn't really have any romance in it, which is pretty unusual, I think, in general, and specifically for YA fantasy, there's almost always a strong romantic subplot, and there's yes. like almost no romance, because I was like, I'm going to take it all out. I'm glad I'm speaking to you today, who specifically does write romance. That's right. You're going to get your romance fix after all. 
Okay, so so for example, that it's the miniseries, so it's standalones, etc. How did you pitch that or construct that in the sense that did you have to know from the outset? Is it set in a made-up place, in a sort of made-up place? You got to make sure you have a family with like five siblings so we can have five different stories. So the first book in the series, I think it came out a year ago. It's all been a blur, to be honest. Wow. <laughs> I used to just write one book at a time for Love Inspired and I would have to write the whole thing and then I would wait for them to either love it and buy it or say, ooh, close, but try again. So my editor just said, hey, you've reached the point now where we can look at three chapters at a time and also send me some paragraphs about some other books And so I just dreamed up six book ideas, and I wrote the first three chapters of book one. But yes, I dreamed up these siblings, and I lost my dad in 2020, so after that I was sort of in the grieving process. So there's an element of grief that winds through the books, because that's what I was living in my personal life. And I just turned in the fifth book, and then book six, the characters that I pitched, they aren't related to this family that's been the star of the show and so we're going to start a new series which I have not dreamed that up yet I only know what this first book will be but we just agreed on that today that hey these characters that you're talking about they've already told me they want to buy the book and I've only written a three paragraph summary so now I have to come up with a setting and a family of five more people I don't know oh wow (laughs) yeah it's exciting but it's also a little bit like oh wow yeah congratulations so that's great so that means you've kind of earned your way up to be in a place of pitching the series and yes them going for the series before it's all out kind of done Right. Now, I'm wow. sure that somewhere in my contract, they reserve the right to be like, um, actually, we want to go in a different direction. But for right now, I could pitch that new series and she could be like, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Right. And if she does, then it's like, well, back to the drawing board. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you. It's very exciting. You could just focus on the writing of it and not worrying about, I mean, you still, like you kind of mentioned, sort of have a little bit of a worry about whether they're going to take it or not. Part of it is already set. I'm writing this and I know it's going to the editor who's going to try to get it published. It's yes, different. And then like, yeah. My editor gets approval for each thing from her supervisor. So you know it goes up the chain a little way. So that protects the publisher and then me as well that I don't produce a whole book that's like, eh. So much time that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. So the setting that you have is this place called Hearts Bay. Yes. I would like to think you made it up only because is there really such a perfect setting in Alaska for these books? I made it up. To me, it's a fictionalized version of Kodiak Island, which is a large island off the coast of Alaska. But the idea of a heart-shaped rock, I really did read about that. There's a beach in Alaska where the rocks were washing up. One you can hold in your palm, a rock shaped like a heart. And I was like, that is so cute. And uh, you have to create an idea that can be marketed. Like yes. the name of the series is Home to Heart Space. So you have to think about that stuff, which I wouldn't have known that until I lived through it as an author. What do you mean the series title has to be something that we can market? Isn't that somebody else's job? But no, it's my <laughs> (laughs) job (laughs) yeah when you look at these series and stuff everything has kind of not in a negative way but everything has like a very cutesy kind of perfect fairy tale kind of sound hit oh for sure yeah well that's the point right that's kind of what you're marketing to yep and for a while we were trying to work in keywords that people search for in the search box on amazon i don't know if we do that as much anymore but for a while fresh start was a keyword that was selling so a lot of the product description around the book on amazon had fresh start in it we've gotten away from that a little bit yeah, it depends on what the mood the mood of the uh, society is in these days. Yeah. Right, yeah. there are no fresh starts. What? <laughs> <laughs> we need a reset button. That's the new one. We want a reset right. button. <laughs> it seemed though like you have a lot of Midwestern stories, but okay, I didn't look through every single book in the catalog, but it, it seemed like I didn't see Alaska coming up a lot. With your book, I was like, a fisherman in Alaska? What are these people like? I don't want to see what this one's about. 
I was inspired to do that because there was a book by a romance author, Tess Bailey. I think she wrote a book about a crab fisherman off the coast of Washington, and it was very popular. And I was like, oh, a book about a crab fisherman. I wonder if I could do that. And I didn't know if it would work. But I mean, he's injured for most of the book, so (laughs) he's not really doing a lot of crab fishing. But it worked out. Even though the whole story is centered on, on the romance and the second chance and all these things, there is a part of it where I'm like, this is an interesting life. Even though it's so obvious that if someone's going to be a crab fisherman or any sort of fisherman up in Alaska, there's dangers that are involved in this line of work. Busy season and the home season. All of a sudden, I had a double world open up to me. People yeah. live like this. This is real life. Even yeah, if it's, it's in this... Yeah. Fascinating. You know, you keep your eyes open, you'll learn something. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, that's why we read, right? We read to escape and be entertained, but it's also to learn. Yeah. Aside from, we have to start off with these two people, even though we know they're going to end up together, but it seems like they can end up together. Are there certain plot points that are kind of standard for this kind of storylines? As in, there has to be the point where somehow they both meet each other. Okay, fine. Then there's the point where they're going to be attracted to each other, but then, no, we can't go there kind of thing. And then something has to, there always has to be a scene that forces them together kind of thing. Like, are these things that you sort of follow or afterwards you realize that a lot of them have similar turning points? So I really struggled with how to plot it because when I first started out, I would just sort of put a bunch of scenes together and there wasn't really any tension. And so I had to be taught, hey, you need tension in every scene and that's sort of what they want, but the reasons why they think they can't have it. And then you need to have the last sentence of your scene be strong, but the last sentence of your chapter needs to be really strong. I almost always have to rewrite those in the editing process. Not every single one, but a lot of them, the editor will be like, I need to make this chapter hook a little stronger. So you have to learn. I learned trial and error with my editor, but also Gwen Hayes has a great book called Romancing the Beat, and she breaks it down. And it doesn't matter if you write romance books with a lot of spice a lot of intimacy or a romance book with very wholesome and sweet she just breaks down the beats and that's how I learned to get it right but I have to write out write it all out in a synopsis and it takes me a long time to get those turning points in there and then the middle is still always a beast but after you do it for a while you know that it's so we can only do a 55,000 word book because it prints out in that mass market paperback size and that all of production is based on the size of that book and so you really have to write tight because that's not a lot I think that's 212 pages in a word document so yeah you don't have a lot of room to wiggle I was going to ask you actually about how long the books are because it does seem like they all look about the same size and it seems like the pace just moves like you can burn through one of these books in a few hours if even the point is not for it to be this dense super mystery read so oh 55,000 words that's not a lot that's actually... No, it's not. Yeah, that's like... Some people would call that novella almost. We're barely into full-length territory, I think. Wow. Those. I wonder how many writers are like screaming now because their manuscripts usually come out over 100,000 words. How do you write something only 55,000 words? Oh, I have a women's fiction one coming out this summer, which I think came in at... Eventually ended up being around 92,000. And I was like, this must be what a horse feels like when they can sprint. I felt <laughs> like my... I felt like my... Um, restrictions were lifted a little bit and I was like oh no I can really run but also it was hard to find 92,000 words so <laughs> well, balance yeah well because you're probably used to just getting that really super tight read in where you don't get right. a lot of extra space well for everything right. else yeah right and also I've noticed that the genre or the imprint and again a lot of the companion imprints they always have the dual POV so you always have his yes. POV and her POV yep it, always and no third person in this line 
No third point of view, I mean. Always first person, always a his and her POV. Mm-hmm. Have you just kind of fallen into the habit of writing like that? Or is, it, is one POV easier or more difficult? For some reason, I find it a little easier to write the guy's POV. I don't know. I'm, I'm married to a guy. I have three sons. Even my dog is a boy. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's the world I'm immersed in. But my ladies, they always come out a little bit snarky and a little bit hard to love at first. So they take some revising, some work. I don't know why. Even if I make her like super sweet and all rainbows and sunshine, I still have to revise her point of view a little more than the guys. It's a mystery. Well, speaking about revising the POVs a little bit, is there a point where it's like, hey, this is too idealized. You got to gritty it up a little bit or kind of like the opposite where it's even though he has his background or if he's a single dad, he probably got divorced at one point. So there's some history there, some baggage that comes with him. But like you've idealized him too much. Like he's a little bit too perfect. So he's not relatable. Is there anything like that kind of? Some readers asked me today why I made. So Gus is the hero in this novel and he used to be married to a woman named Liesl and they have a child together. And my readers I was talking to were like, why is Liesl so difficult to get along with? I'm like, well, if she was easy to get along with, why isn't he with her anymore? Like, can't have any competition between the ex-wife and the current love interest, the heroine of the novel, because that's not the kind of layered saga we're telling here. So, I mean, it's a romance novel. People read it to escape and be entertained, but also trying to bring in real world issues. And a real world issue is it's tough. It's tough to co-parent. It's tough to have a child who spends time at one home and spends time at the other. It's tough to date again. These are real things that are happening. Right. Well, some of these kinds of stories remind me a little bit of, I guess you could call it classic romances, the kind of romances you'll get from like the 1930s or 40s, because they're 90 minute films, so everything moves quickly. And there's like this neat wrap up. And also whenever there's like a new love interest that's brought in, who's going to be the, the love interest, there has to be something negative about the other person for it to be rejected. Because I think that's kind of the thing of, what is it, like The Notebook? Like, she has two guys, but, like, there's not something outwardly not good about either one of them. It's not easier to make that kind of choice kind of thing. That's a good point, because they're like, if everyone's so nice, then why is anybody fighting? Right. Exactly. So going back a little bit, you said that when you first started doing this, it seems like you kind of learned on the job with your editor. So when you originally sat down and you're like, I'm going to write a book now, was it, like, actually just like, I'm going to write a book now, and I'm just going to start writing it? Or did you pick up other craft books or attend any sort of writing anything before you actually started or once you started you started looking into that kind of stuff just focusing a little bit more there when i first started unraveled my very first book i had no idea i can remember sitting at my desk and crying like (laughs) the kids are finally in bed my husband's like all right you got some free time go write and i'm like i don't know i don't know how to do this and so reading is a great way to learn how a book is structured and then there's an author who's been tremendously successful her name is susan may warren and she has a bazillion books she's so talented but she has developed a writing academy and then she now has her own publishing company and she also self-publishes and she's amazing and so i have learned from her writing conferences i haven't gone to a writing conference since 2019 the before times but i hope to go again right now i just do virtual events but yeah i learned little one-hour workshops little bites here and there and basically just writing and getting rejected and then taking editorial feedback and buying another craft book and highlighting it like crazy and then trying to be like, okay, in this book, I'm going to learn how to do internal monologue better in a way that doesn't sound cheesy. Because you you can't tackle all of your craft shortcomings in one book, right? You'll just make yourself exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a certain level of growth that only comes with writing more. Right. Like that's unavoidable. It's that That's the way it works. So the Love Inspired, did you specifically set out to like one day write for them or you had seen that contest or whatever it was that you had entered and that's kind of how you got there? 
2013, Love Inspired had a different contest where the, the technology seems archaic now, but you went into a chat room, you like typed out your pitch, and the editor read the pitch, and then she wrote back to you in a little message. And I remember a different editor at Love Inspired was like, please send this, I love it. And so that was unraveled in, in its first iteration, and I sent it, and she was like, this is great, but the hero and heroine aren't together enough. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what you just said to me. <laughs> and she was like, do you have anything else? And I was like, sure lady I've got a backup manuscript right here no I don't have anything else (laughs) so it was a few years before I tried again but that's when I learned so the hero and heroine have to be together a lot in a love inspired novel because it is so short and I know there's lots of talk in the larger industry about hey when the hero and heroine aren't together the heroine needs to be talking to her sisters or her friends about something other than a man well that's true she does that would be great if that wasn't her own focus but in a love inspired book you don't have a lot of room for that type of thing does that make sense like right we don't want to portray women as women who sit around with their needlepoint and they're only talking and thinking about a man, but you kind of have to do that in a love inspired book to get the tension right and to get the character arc correct. I think that's part of the advantage of having a very specific imprint with a very specific focus because it's not trying to be this broad general interest. Like it's a very particular kind of book that's being put out. And there's a particular audience that goes for that book. Right. That's good. Just like in the book, you found your match. That's a good thing in that regard. I think 55,000 words, that is, it's so short. It is. It's not very many words, but it is hard to shape the story in that few amount. That's not proper grammar, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. The funny part of it is that like when I was reading some of these, the one thing that I did like actually about this 55,000 words is that sometimes I don't have patience for like a 10 chapter buildup. I'm like, great, everything's already starting. I don't have to wait around for anything. We're just going. They make sure that we understand the hero and heroine have to, if you can get them to meet on page one, that's fantastic. Sometimes that's not realistic at all. But by the end of chapter one, we need to know exactly what's going on here and why it's a problem. We can't take three chapters. You mentioned that you've got a woman's fiction coming out. So, I do. Yeah, what's yes. some details on that, please? So I've been trying to write that bad boy or that bad girl, <laughs> whichever, since like 2016. And oh, I would wow. write a little bit and then I would go to a conference and I would try to pitch it. I had no business pitching it because I myself didn't even really know what the book was about. So yeah. it got rejected quite a few times. And then I sent it to my editor at Love Inspired. And I said, would you please look at this? Because they had just announced that they were going to do the longer we call it love inspired trade longer books and she was like sure but i could tell it was like yeah, someday someday i'll look at that when i have nothing else to do yeah. and so it sat in her inbox for many many months and then she finally said to me this is amazing we want to buy it and so oh, wow. it's about a woman who this is not a spoiler in, in the opening part of the book she realizes that her husband is in love with another man and so she has a problem because she's got a child and she's pregnant and so it's basically the story of what happens when your world just blows apart she goes back home to alabama and tries to rebuild with the help of her family i'm so so grateful i didn't ever think i would be able to write a women's fiction novel that someone would want to publish quite honestly it was kind of a discouraging journey but this character just came into my mind one night and she just would not go away and it was the hardest thing i've ever written but it's so rewarding to see it going out into the world. Which imprint is publishing that then? So it is Love Inspired and we're calling it Trade, Love Inspired Trade. And they are kind of all, all over the place right now. There's some World War One and World War Two books. There's a couple Amish books, a book about the lost manuscript or the bookshop of secrets. There's another one called The Gathering Table. I think they only do a few a year and I think they're trying to figure out 
what is selling. And then they're asking the authors, okay, do more of that. But just today I said, hey, can my next one be dual timeline, but take place in the South? And she was like, sure, go for it. Like, okay, but I have no idea how to write a dual timeline novel, but I'm going to figure it out because that's what I want to do. You're kind of opening up two writing paths for yourselves to do the the women's fiction version and the 55,000 love inspired version. I'm going to do both, although it will take me a long time to write a dual timeline novel. Don't quite know how to make that happen. Love-inspired trade, so you're saying they're trying to figure out what it is right now. Right now, the only thing that it is is just a longer version. Because the story you just described doesn't sound like something that would be the love-inspired book. Correct. So they are letting us, I would say, push the envelope a little bit. I think they're trying to reach a different audience, to be perfectly honest with you. Because if you continue to write for people who are over the age of 65, not to be morbid, but at some point, your audience will cease to exist. So you have to reach a younger audience. And I feel like maybe with the trade books, they're doing that. Again, no data to back that up. But all authors have to reach a new audience, right? I don't even think Nicholas Sparks or John Grisham says, that's enough. I have enough readers. Thank you. Like, right, right, we're always trying to get our books in front of new people. But I will say Christianity has a bit of a PR problem right now. We've uh, had some negative coverage (laughs) and some of it deserved. I think people are like, Christian fiction, what's that about? Or some people are like, I'm not touching that. So we have to find our audience and say, hey, give us a chance. This is a great story. I'm not going to hit you over the head with my Bible. Just give me a shot. Personally, for the story that you wrote now, you still kind of kept a strong sort of religious element to it? It has to be there. Even with this new trade paperback line that they're trying to figure out, you still have the strong, I guess you could say like the flavoring. We're not watching people Um, go to church together, but... No, no, no. I will say the trade line, they told me I could be a little more subtle because there is two men in a relationship together in the book and they remain together throughout the novel. And so she has to decide, the heroine has to decide, okay, this is the reality that I'm living in now is, well, what am I going to do? And so I had to be super careful not to sort of put any sort of religious lens on that because that's a hot topic in society, right? But also, it's a real one. This is the world we're living in is that not every household is what we would call the traditional mom and dad and two kids who stay married for 73 years, right? So our world is very much, a, to me, a post-Christian modern world. And so I want the books that I write to reflect that. But I also want to be like, hey, this is what I believe. I do believe in the Lord. And I would like you to maybe consider thinking about your relationship with God when you read my book. But if you don't want to, that's fine. You just want to read a sweet romance. Excellent. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, these are your decisions that you're making as a writer, so... It has to make sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense to me. I'm not writing the book, you're writing it. So that's also, like, in the Love Inspired, that we called inspirational, but not Christian, even though everybody in it is Christian. And again, we're not necessarily seeing them go to church together, but there's always a moment where they're like, wow, that person has such a strong faith, I admire it. You just got to make sure you include that somewhere in there to be able to fit into the line, or also is it like, don't ever preach, don't give a Bible verse. That's for the Amish romance, you know, to give out Bible verses. Is there parameters there or what's that uh, like? So they always ask us to do a verse. What's sort of a verse that relates to your story? And it goes in the front and it can only be the King James version, which is the hardest version to understand because for licensing purposes, I think the King James version is the only one that is public domain. So there's dozens of translations of the Bible and some that are easier to read. So they always ask us for a verse. It always goes in the front and I don't have to necessarily reference that verse ever again. If I didn't have anything, like if I didn't have them thinking about God or silently praying, my editor would be like, 
like, so what's inspirational about this story? Ah, okay. <laughs> like, you have to have even if it's super subtle. But no, I don't want to write a book where people are going to church. That's not very exciting. It seems like the Amish ones are the ones that have a much stronger or more obvious Christian theme to it or Bible theme. They're all going yes. to prayer services together. They're, they'll bring the verse in more. Yes, I think because their faith is so integrated into their community. If you left it out, that would be like, wait a minute, it's a piece of the puzzle that's sort of not here. Well, there you go again. It's having the different kind of formats for the different audiences. Right. For you, usually you write the story first and you're like, okay, better go hunt down a verse now. Or... Yep. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. I get an email that says, we need your front matter. Who's this book dedicated to and what's your Bible verse? Okay. <laughs> this one goes out to my mom. And how about Jeremiah 29, 11? That sounds good. So you just like Bible verses that have to do with grief or Bible yes, verses. I do. We are all kind of going to draw on the same ones. Like if you have an obscure verse that people are like, what? Yeah. Is that in the Bible? You kind of want something that has broad appeal. We're assuming that your Bible verse is not going to be an eye for an eye or something. Right. <laughs> the beginning of the inspirational romance. Yeah, the Bible has some gritty stuff. There's some doozy, doozy verses in there. Yeah, like, there's no thou shalt not eat the creepy crawly insects. Like, that has nothing to do with this. And if I threw something totally random out there, I'm sure they'd be like, what? Well, they're never like, oh, this one's been used before. That's not really oh, relevant. no, no, no. I'm yeah. sure they see the same. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's kind of goes through a line about something having broad appeal that there are certain voices right. that might speak to people more. Yes. Either because they're easier to understand or just it just speaks to something that people have more intimately experienced or whatever. So Right. Yeah. Because you're with the Love Inspired imprint and the way you got in, etc., do you deal with an agent or you just deal straight with an editor? I do have a literary agent. You can pitch to Love Inspired directly without an agent. It will take a little while for them to get to someone's submission. So if, if you have listeners who are interested, you do not need an agent for Love Inspired. But I just had one. So I had one because I met her at a conference and then he stepped away from agenting. So I pitched to someone else and he took me on. But a standard Harlequin contract is pretty standard. So you don't need an agent to negotiate. But I just feel better having one. Oh, so you got an agent at a conference before you had entered the, the contest, before you had anything? I had a story in an anthology that was self-published and we sold a lot of copies. The whole collection sold over 15,000 copies very quickly. And so that helped my agent, I think, be like, oh, so you do have something. And then I told her, hey, I'm going to enter this Love Inspired contest. And she was like, great. Then she was my agent when that first book got published. Ah, uh, okay. When she stepped away from it, then you went to... So now, so now you do have the agent, even though you also frequently speak with your editor, you're in contact with them with your pitches. And yes. Stuff. Yes. So when it's time for me to pitch a project, I send it to my agent and I say, Hey, can you please pitch this? Ah, okay. So we always wrap up with the fill the blank, choosing one, and it could be off the cuff answer, your soapbox answer. I really like it when writers, editors, publishers, agents, stories, series, book covers, librarians, bookstores, whatever. Sure. I really like when, and I really don't like when. How would you fill in the blank for that? I really like it when editors tell us what they expect from us and then they give us sort of a wish list of what they would like to see in future submissions because that helps us understand what they want and what they think is selling. I really don't like it when a book's cover does not align with the story inside. So that's more of a, from a reader's perspective. I don't like it when the cover and the interior don't match. Like well, a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, it's false advertising. Right. When do you see the cover of your books? Any input on that? Or is it just we're just churning it out with this love-inspired series? No, they ask us. Everybody fills out the same digital template online. And they ask you to describe your characters. And if there's a pet in the 
story. There's often a dog. You have to describe what kind of dog it is and what the dog looks like. And then they always ask for three scenes from the book that you think would look great on the cover. And then you have to describe what the characters are wearing. And those covers are made in Toronto, I think, with a green screen and some graphic design. They don't have millions of dollars to devote to cover design, but I think they do a pretty good job. If you fill out your template and it's very detailed then I think you have a better chance of getting something that you like now my covers do I love them every single time no there's always something that I'm like oh I wish that was this way or not that way overall I've been pretty pleased so yes we we do have input but if it comes back to you and you don't like it that's just too bad it seems like whoever's designing their covers also would kind of have a feel what the imprint is so you give them enough information that's kind of the best you could do yeah right it's always a thing with authors on their covers. One more question. Is there any sort of, at minimum, you're writing a book a year, you got to be writing two books a year? Is there anything like that or just your own pace? Or if it's a miniseries, so, it's got to be a book a year? I choose my own deadlines. So I just had to sort of randomly look at the calendar and figure out, okay, realistically, when can I write these books? I am a mom of three, one in college and two at home. And I'm married and have a golden doodle who demands a lot of attention. So I don't only write, but it's pretty much a full-time job now. And so I try to map out about four months a book and knowing that it's going to take them nine months to get to market. I wish I could write four a year, but that's a lot. I'm trying to write three a year, but if I'm going to start writing dual timeline, that's a huge book. I can't write a hundred thousand words in 12 weeks or 16 weeks. Like, I don't know how long that's going to take me. I would think nine months for sure. (laughs) We'll have to keep tabs on you. All right. That's right. I'll report back. That'll be something exciting to look forward to. That's great. Well, first of all, again, Heidi, happy birthday for your book. Thank you. Book Same birthday. to you. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. So glad we got to speak. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I loved it. This was great. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author Heidi McCann. To find out more about Heidi and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast check us out at eltenabum.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.